Welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast series, brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance. Discussing your life as a medical coder, offering coding tips and advice for coding students and professionals. Join us every Wednesday. Hello and welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast. My name is Jennifer McNamara and I am your host today. Our program, as always, is brought to you from your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance, and our goal is to bring you timely industry topics in the field of health information management, as well as tips for work-life balance. If you're a first-time listener, we thank you for listening today. And if you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Our disclaimer, as always, is that this podcast is not to be taken as legal or professional advice. It's based on my years of experience in the coding and billing industry, and I want to share with you what I've learned and why I love this industry. These thoughts are mine and mine alone, as you know. Today's episode is really, of course, dear to me, um, dear to my heart, because it is about my evolving and my anatomy of my career. So it's the anatomy of the medical coding career. And I really hope that this episode really helps a lot of people. Daily, weekly, monthly, and of course, for the last few years, I get multiple messages in my inbox on LinkedIn, emails, and the like, asking me questions about how I can be successful, what coding credential should I go for, all of these things. And while I do like to offer advice, I feel like it really is a decision you do need to make on your own. But of course, we do want to have the the tools and we want to have the information um, in one place, right, that we can go to to help us make an informed decision. So the first thing I suggest, if you're deciding, you first of all, you don't know where you're going to go, or what, what credential you're going to go for, think about, you know, where you live. I always say, go out there, look at the jobs in your area. What credentials are those employers asking for? Because believe it or not, I've looked at several facilities when I was looking for a job initially several years ago, and some of them required a CCS credential, the Certified Coding Specialist with AHIMA, A-H-I-M-A, and then some of them wanted the CPC, the Certified Professional Coder, with the AAPC, the American Academy of Professional Coders. Now, I personally went for the CPC uh, exam and course when I initially started back in the year 2000. That was the credential at the time that was, of course, recommended to me uh, because I had no experience. And because, of course, if you look on the website for AHIMA, uh, previously the CCS exam required you have, of course, a degree or you had to have another credential for another organization and you had to go through college and all of that. And I didn't want that path for myself uh, personally. So I wanted to, um, I had learned from others that there was a way to fast track it and become certified without going to college. Nothing wrong with going to college. It just wasn't for me at the time in my life. So I chose not to. So I chose to take a course uh, through the local college. I went and took what do you call it, um, these local community college, they had these night classes, and at the time, they offered several things. So the first thing I did, this is the very first thing, I'm going to start out talking about my personal path here. It may help others. Maybe it's a similar path that you took. I took an anatomy course, medical terminology. That was the first thing that you took. And then from there, you were given a list of uh, jobs or career paths that you could take after you took that basic medical terminology. 
And of course, it was recommended to me that I should go for coding because at the time, my brain was going, okay, I want to work from home someday. And that was what uh, was brought to my attention. Uh, my aunt, um, who lived in, we all lived in California at the time, she was an administrator of a hospital in Whittier, California. And so I decided I was going to listen to her advice and she recommended to go to this path here. My cousin uh, was also in the field, but she had been doing it for so long, she'd actually reached out for that CCS exam with the HEMA um, because she did all the course requirements for that. It wasn't for me. I decided to go a different route. I thought, okay, I want to stick with physician coding. I didn't want to go into the inpatient side at that point. I wasn't really ready for that. So I decided to go for that. Uh, took my course there. I felt so like a fish out of water. I felt like this is so complicated. And I feel like some people um, felt that way as well back then. I just, I just wasn't getting it. So I took a break. I took get my brain a break and I went different ways. And eventually, of course, I got married and um, you know, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but it was still in my mind. It was still in my, you know, thoughts. I really wanted to do this as a career uh, because of the little that I did learn, I enjoyed. There were just a few pieces that I just wasn't comprehending. But for the most part, I understood it and I, I liked it. But of course, like all of us back then and even now, maybe the evaluation and management and modifiers, those were the two things, believe it or not, that really just stopped me because I was like, I'm never going to get this. This is too hard. And believe it or not, those two things are the two areas of coding that I like to teach the most. And that I usually present at AAPC chapter meetings, that I usually present at conferences as a national speaker. And I love it. So that's one of the things that I like to say is like, you may think that these things are your kryptonite, but eventually... Those things might become your loves, the things that you love about medical coding or billing and the industry. So I want to talk a little bit more about, about that path. You know, I went that way, but it wasn't until several years later that I got my first job and I didn't get a coding job. Uh, they looked at my resume. I had no experience. So like most of us, you'll talk to many who started out in the industry. You had to start in you know, reception. Maybe some of you were able to find a job and you got in the billing department or you're just doing data entry. And that's typically where you start as a CPCA, right? So you get that apprentice um, status. And I'm going to stop here and I'm going to explain a little bit now about that CPCA credential, what that means, because so many come to me and take my course. And that's the first thing I tell them before they buy my course, jump into it, and then later find out, okay, I didn't know all this. A lot of people come to me because maybe they did do that and they weren't informed. And so I'm really wanting to make sure my disclaimer before you pay for my class, I want you to know the ins and outs of what you're going to be up against here. Yes, the first step is you need to get certified uh, for the most part to get these jobs where, where the requirement is that you are certified. I will say there are some jobs out there where they may not require you to be certified and they'll let you code for them. That's fine. But for the majority of jobs out there that require a credential to get in the door, that is your first step. So stop and just don't even think about the after effects. Just know to even get anywhere in the industry, if you want to get a job and the requirement says you have to have this credential, then of course, you know, you need to start that process and get that credential. So that's my first thing. So when you go on the AAPC's website and you're researching um, this credential. They are very transparent. They tell you every single thing you need to know about their credential. Uh, they tell you, of course, how to locate an exam. They tell you what's on the exam. They break it down for you. 
They even tell you on that exam the order and, and that amount of questions in each section. So as you're preparing, you know exactly what you're up against. They even give you salary indicators where you live, of course, what you can expect to make for this. And they break down that CPCA requirement to remove that apprentice status. They tell you exactly what to do. And you do have to take an approved course. Of course, the course they offer is the same one I offer with our um, with Ozark. And so we definitely have the same course that they offer and it's approved. So what happens is it says, yes, you need two years of experience to have your um, A removed. Now they do let you take that course and remove one year of experience. That course satisfies one year of experience. The other year, of course, is typically obtained by on-the-job experience or through their Practicode program. Not to say that there are some, um, you know, internships out there, uh, but they may or may not be approved by the AAPC because they are very particular about what they allow to justify experience through an internship. But it's possible um, if it's approved. Now, I always recommend the Practicode program, especially if you go through an instructor, because you can get the Practicode program at a lower cost if you go through your instructor, uh, and then they can actually help you with it, which is really nice. It's nice to know that if you go through the official instructor program, you don't go on your own separately through AAPC, come to us as instructors, find the instructor you want, come to us so we can give you those discounts and we can help you through the process. They created this instructor program so that coders, future coders can feel confident and they can have those, those coders that have been in the industry for such a long time that have taken these exams, they know how to pass them, they've been working in several specialties, so they're at a better, they're at an advantage, right? They can actually help you with these concepts and can help you understand. It's not just about passing the exam, it's about what happens next. It's about the future. Uh, what are you going to do next? What specialty are you gonna go into? What do you want to do uh, with your career? And if you look on their website, I'm telling you, the sky is the limit when it comes to credentials. There's so much out there. So going back to my story, what I decided to do, I got my CPC back when I worked at the billing department at a local hospital in Joplin, Missouri. So from that point, I had already moved to the Midwest. I had already decided I was married. I didn't know what I was going to do. I worked as a receptionist then in the billing department. I worked my way up, but I still wanted to get certified. I'm like, I, I want this for myself and for my edification to, to know that I have worked this hard and I, I deserve this credential. And that's what I wanted for myself. And that's a personal goal I had. So I wanted that credential. So I reached out to my director and I sat down with him and he encouraged me to go for it. He said, even if you feel like you, you, you're so scared of this exam, it's the one that we want you to have because it will certify you in all specialties. So whatever we decide in our department, we need to put you in this department. We know you're going to have some knowledge of it because you took the CPC exam. So that's what my director told me. So I went for it. I'm going to tell you this sad, sad story. I didn't pass my first time. And I love to tell people that because I don't want you going into it with the fear of failure. We want you to feel confident, but I don't want you to feel like if you don't pass, that's the end of the road because it's not. You can have help. <laughs> you have people out that are willing to help you uh, pass that second time. And I will be a full disclosure, it was my own fault. My mentor told me exactly what to do and I went the opposite direction. I don't know if it was nerves or just thinking, okay, I got this, but I had completely ignored her direction on time management. And believe it or not, time management is probably the top reason why individuals do not pass their exam. 
It's because, of course, the hardest sections of that exam are right there in the beginning, aren't they? The integumentary system, and then you have musculoskeletal, and you have respiratory, cardiovascular. And it's not that you don't know how to code them because you've gone through this training, but it's time consuming. So if you spend all of most of your time trying to do that, you have so many minutes that you have used on that. You don't have time now to answer those easy questions that if you had done those first, short questions, short answers, they're straight to the point. You don't have to look up a lot of codes for them. It's easy, right? You know it. So if you were to do those first and do that, then you would have banked many minutes now for those longer questions. So in cardiovascular and sometimes in musculoskeletal, the spine, you have four, five, six codes in one answer that you have to pick the multiple choice answer that matches. And it's not that you maybe don't know it, but it takes you time, right, to compare all those codes because you're going right to the tabular or you're going right to those code sections in the CPT book and you're trying to narrow down and eliminate answers. But it takes time, doesn't it? So that's what I, I say as far as that. The second time, yes, I knew what I did wrong. I went in there. I passed my exam 84%. I was super happy with that score. First time it was 64%. So I was, I was like right on the cusp of passing. So I had it. It was right there at the door. I had it. I was on the cusp of passing, but I just missed by those few, those few percentages and it killed me, but I didn't waste any time. I went a month later, even though I had to travel a couple hours to Tulsa, Oklahoma uh, to take it there. I stayed the night at a friend's house and I studied and I passed. So I'm telling you, you know, if you feel like you got to get this done, you don't pass the first time, don't wait. Don't let too much time pass till you forget what you, that drive you have and that passion and that what you've already learned. Take that information and reschedule as soon as possible. Get out there and do it. And that's what I say is the best option. So that's the next step in my career, what I did. I got my certification and I was already working in the billing department and they had a coding team. So I automatically qualified to apply for that position. And I got it because I was already internal. And then believe it or not, that's how a lot of these things work. So if you are looking now, if you're already in the field, you're in a good position. If you're already in the hospital system as a receptionist in a doctor's office, in the billing department, you're in a great position. And even once I was on the coding team at this, the next hospital I worked for in, um, you know, Northwest Arkansas, I was already, of course, one of the, the, the higher level coders. And I would see these billers come in and they would get that drive to get certified. And they got that next position. We had an opening. They were the ones that got it because they already worked in there. They worked with us as coders. They were the billers that were asking us questions and we would help them. And then they got that desire to get certified and then they got to move into that position. So that's how a lot of times it works. So get your foot in the door, find a hospital that you can get into. Uh, I will be talking, of course, too, about some of the companies that I've seen recently. Since the surge after COVID-19, there has been a huge change in the industry that I was hoping would happen sooner, but we see it happening now. We were forced right into going into this work at home situation because historically, right, that wasn't an option. And I will say my whole career, I never went into it thinking I would work at home right away. Never crossed my mind. And so because I knew I've talked to other industry experts in other industries and they're like, there's no way you're going to get in as a new coder without an experience to work from home. Those people are ones who have proven that they know how to work independently. They don't need supervision. They can just do their job. 
coders who are new most of the time need that assistance. They have lots of questions. I'm not going to be really understanding at first how to code charts from scratch because they were used to their exam where they had multiple choice. You don't have multiple choice in the real world, do you, right? So you have to learn that and you need those mentors, those people. Working in the office is the best experience you're ever going to have. I recommend it 10 times over working at home right away. The knowledge I gained from working side by side with my physician is unmatched. I will never forget the experiences I had. My very first specialty course was was radiology. All I started out doing was entering radiology codes. I entered, you know, diagnosis codes um, off the charts for radiology. That was my first job. Then I moved into answering denials. So when the billing team had questions about coding, they would send down the denials to us. We would tell them, we would look up the codes and figure out what the coding problems were, what issues were there, and we'd tell them how to fix it, and they would correct it. Then, of course, I decided, okay, I needed to, I wanted to advance. I want to do something different. At the time, though, um, it was, of course, decided by our family that we were going to move, my husband and I. We were going to move back to be closer to my family. Uh, we were in Joplin, Missouri at the time. We moved to Northwest Arkansas. And so I was, of course, now having to face finding a job. I was a new coder. I didn't really know what to do. So I applied. At that point, of course, I had experience already in billing and coding. Even though I wasn't certified for two years, I already had experience changing codes and revising new patients established and vice versa, adding modifiers. So all of that experience counted towards my removing of my A. So I was able to get that A removed real quickly with those letters from my employer. So that was easy for me. And that's what I recommend to you. Look at your billing experience. If you're already doing that, you're adding modifiers, you're revising codes, and you're answering questions. Those are things that you learn that have to do with coding. You're actually coding when you're doing that. So if you're doing that, get your letters from your employer and get your A removed. Otherwise, yes, you got to keep working at it and, and keep working at it. So then, of course, I applied for an orthopedic physician, and I actually applied for the VA. I got interviewed with the VA, and just by chance, just it happened, I had replied for a receptionist job, um, just, to, just to get somewhere in the door. It was for cardiovascular clinic, and the cardiovascular clinic called me in to work as a biller and um, to help answering phone calls. So I did that. I, I went in the interview. She was so nice. She's like, you know what, though? She goes, you have a credential. You have so much experience in, in billing and, 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 and everything. I feel like you're overqualified. And to me, I'm like, I don't feel overqualified. I want this job. Give it to me, please. But anyway, I didn't say that. But that's how I felt. She goes, I have a friend who works in the orthopedic clinic, which incidentally is the job I actually applied for. I just didn't call back for it. And she said, I'm going to give your resume to her and see if she's interested. Two days later, I get a call from this manager. She calls me in. I'm like so intimidated because believe it or not, orthopedics was the one credential that I just did not feel comfortable with. And I was just, I scared of it, right? I would do those denials and I would always have to ask questions like, is this right? Did I tell them right? Did I code this right? And it was just so much. So I was like, okay. So I went in there confident. I told them the experience that I did have in the billion side of coding for orthopedics and, and such. And turns out their receptionist at the time was the one coding for it. Like they were the ones doing it. And so they needed a coder. They had um, another receptionist who was doing that and she was learning to be a coder, but she needed help. Um, so I was the lead coder at that point. They hired me right there. I was just like, I was shocked. I'm like, okay, what am I doing? What did I get myself into? But I went into it. 
I, I'm like, I got this. I'm going to do my research. I'm going to reach out to people, to my network, to have help if I need it. But me and, and the other receptionist, we, we did our job and we worked together and we both researched and we got the job done. And over time, I learned and I picked up on things. But I also had the physician there with me. And he was such a nice man. He, still, of course, still is. I love him. Uh, still a great, great surgeon that I, I communicate with from time to time. And we have a good relationship. So he taught me. And he would, he would, would, I would ask him questions. And he would tell me why. And he even asked me. He's like, hey, do you want to come to the OR? And do you want to watch a surgery? <laughs> I was like, yes. But is that allowed? <laughs> it just didn't even cross my mind that I was allowed to do that. So he's like, yeah, we'll set it up. So his his office manager happened to be his nurse also. So she set it up. I got I scrubbed in. I learned all the protocols. I they told me where to stand, what to touch, what not to touch. <laughs> Basically, nothing. You, you don't touch anything, right? Uh, it's a sterile environment. You don't touch a thing. So I didn't touch a thing. I was just standing there, really close to my close to the patient, um, just you know watching everything happen. It was fascinating. You know, like I was just you know fascinated, and I just I can't believe. I get this experience and it opened my eyes. It helped me understand what the physician goes through in the surgery, all the work they do. And then it helped me have a better understanding of, okay, this is what they're doing. I need to have a, find a way to explain to them now. I know what you're doing in the OR. Now I need to explain to you in my world, in the coding world, how I take that information and transfer it into codes. And that's what I learned to do. I learned to communicate with my physician. And that is an excellent skill to, to learn to do. I learned to explain to them that, yes, even though these codes are bundled, I'm telling you, you're getting paid for what you're doing because when they bundle something, they automatically make sure that RVU value is obtained because they anticipate you're going to do this other procedure at times. They're going to be done together at times. And so they're going to give you the value of that. Anything they bundle, it's going to be valued in the RVU value of that main code, which is why it's a higher RVU value. And so that's what I explained to them. Uh, and that's what I learned. Um, and so I learned the fact that I was a biller first was the best thing I did for myself. So even though I wanted to be a coder so bad, being a biller first was so important to me in my career. I now, uh, when I went into RCM, Revenue Cycle Management, I was now in charge of the full revenue cycle for my company, for my clients. When I hired coders, I had to be able to explain to the physician why this is happening what this is going to cost, why we can't get paid on this. I learned over my career and I, I'm so confident that my knowledge as a biller first is what got me there because I always thought in my mind, just because I'm coding this doesn't mean it's right. Just because it's a coding guideline doesn't mean that it's the way it's being billed because the insurance company has their own idea of how it should be. So I always teach people, think outside the box a little bit. You know, there's so many ways you can attack this industry, not just with coding. Having a coding credential is really important. It's the one of the best things you can do for yourself to add value. But don't discount those other roles, being a biller, um, being um, a denial coder, going into auditing, going into compliance. Uh, there's so many specialties you can go into. And then there's the technology side, guys. I mean, we have to step outside the box. We have to see what is happening with the industry. My goal always from that point forward with my career, I said, I'm not going to turn down an opportunity because I know from experience from my other people that I've, I've worked with and my family who's been successful in their careers, they were just always willing to take on responsibility. And my even in my regular job, I would always ask, what can I do to help? How can I help you? Um, I'm, I, I'm done with my task here. Is there anyone else that needs help? I was always willing to do that. And that is a great 
attitude to have, that's what's going to get you far in the industry. So I had the billing department call. They they knew uh, about me, um, how well the charge, chargers were doing and the claims. So they asked if I was willing to take on another specialty. So there was another department. Their coder was going to retire, and they wanted to see if I would take it on. So I still worked in the orthopedic office, but I was also coding for the GI clinic and the general surgery clinic. Scared me to death again. I'm like, this is a new specialty. I don't know what I'm doing. But that nice, nice coder before she left, she gave me a rundown. She gave me references and tips on how to code these things. And for the most part, they were pretty straightforward. I had some strange off-the-wall general surgery charges, which I'm sure if you work in general surgery, you know what I'm talking about. They just, it was like, okay, this might be enlisted. I'm not sure. So I had to learn all that. And so then that added, now I added out two more specialties to my group. Then at some point, there was a new uh, manager of the billing department, and they decided to create this full coding department where they pull all the coders into this one department and just leave the receptionist in the office. So I was like, ooh, this sounds interesting. So I was excited. So now I was moving out of the office. I was moving into the actual billing and coding department. I had my own office. It was really cool. And so then I started, I added more specialties. They started having me do E&M codes for cardiovascular and other specialties, neurology, pulmonology. So even though I wasn't coding procedures, I was at least coding E&Ms. I was getting comfortable with ICD-10 for those specialties. And I felt like that was excellent. So now I'm like, this is awesome. On my resume, I can now say I have experience in all these specialties because I worked for a, a group of coders and departments. So I had now this access to not just one specialty. I had all these specialties. So then when I decided I have enough experience, I'm ready to go out on my own. I want to work from home. I feel so confident now. I know what I'm doing. I've had the experience. I don't need supervision. I can go out there. And I can own it. I can own my job, my career. They don't have to worry about me. I'm good. So I decided to apply. So I did. I started working for several remote companies, like a Via Code. I worked for Gebs. I worked for a company called Immodal. Um, I worked for Imagine for a short time. These are all companies that I will say typically require you have some experience before you work for them. Although there are some companies out there, I will tell you, I have seen in the several last several years pop up on my radar um, that uh, are sometimes allowing you to apply if you have a CPCA or you have like less than a year of experience. Um, so there's like Change Healthcare. They're my good friends at Psyox. I love them. They, of course, um, are one that are popping up on the radar that are now wanting to bring in new coders. Um, there's Village MD, which recently hired a ton of new coders um, for HCC project. And for those of you that don't know what that is, there is another credential out there that I'm pushing that I also, of course, teach for the CRC exam, Certified Risk Adjustment Coder. And that's for strictly coding for ICD-10 purposes, ICD-10-CM purposes. So the only book you use is your ICD-10 manual, along with the references you find on CMS's website and other payers. So it's really about... Uh, reporting those risk-adjusted diagnoses for the insurance companies. So it's a great career to get into, and it's a great way to fast-track your career, and this is, I want you to pay attention. If you're a CPCA, I want you to stop what you're doing, if you can, of course, and listen to what I'm telling you. The risk adjustment area is your best bet if you have not found a job as a CPC or as a coder in a hospital or office I highly recommend going towards risk adjustment because that's the area. If you already have your CPC, 
you go for your CRC, you put that CRC credential in front, very first credential on your resume, even though you have that CPCA, they're going to look into the CRC and they're going to know you have a non-apprentice credential as well. They're going to see that education you put forth your, that you have. Find those companies that are hiring uh, to train risk adjustment coders and get in the door there. That's going to get you experience. And then maybe later on you decide, I want to go now. I want to be a surgical coder. I want to do that now. Now you have experience. You have experience working in a field and you're more likely to have that A removed rather quickly. And then now you can show employers you have experience. That is my thought process when I think if I was a coder, I was new, and this was available to me, this is the route I would go to fast track my career. That's me personally. I can't say what you would do or what is an option for you. A lot of coders have come to me, and I find they live in a rural area. They live in an area where there's not a lot of hospitals around. So their only chance is really to go remote. So I will say I do totally understand the predicament you're in. And I've talked to many of you over the past several years. I've offered advice and guidance and tried to help so many of you. And then when I get these emails and messages on LinkedIn, you're telling me that you got a job and you feel it was because of me. I sit back in my chair and I just want to ball. I'm just like, I I get that feeling. I, I feel like I'm feeling what you're feeling because I have been there. I know exactly how you feel. And when those people get a job and they find that perfect job for them, it touches my heart. And it makes me feel so happy and grateful that I got to be a part in some small way. I don't take all the credit. You guys had to go on the interview. You had to put that work in. I was just here to cheer you on and get you through that process. I don't take full credit because you did the work. But I am so grateful and so happy that I got to be a part of your journey. And I hope that those of you who continue to work in the field, that you keep me updated. Tell me how you're doing in your career. I had a couple girls that took my course and they got jobs right away. Others waited several months before they got a job, but I hear success stories all the time. So one of my main things I always say is the best uh, tool at your disposal is you. Your positive attitude is what will get you through this. Uh, I've always been a positive person. Um, I choose to not be negative and that is a choice, right? We can choose to be positive. There may be negative things going on in our lives. I'm going to tell you Ladies and gentlemen, I have had a lot of negative things happen in my career, in my life, uh, financial issues, um, issues with, you know, uh, so many things in my life, personal and what so and what and career wise. But those were things that were going to be there. But my attitude couldn't change. I knew that in order for me to accomplish and jump over this this obstacle, my attitude was the best thing at my disposal. So I had to have that positive attitude. So I kept moving forward. Back in 2017, I was getting that bug to reach out to start educating because I had been a coder for at least five years, and I had heard the APC had a credential you could obtain to become an instructor. So I looked into it. My cousin's like, why don't you just go for it and get all the tools and, and start teaching? And so I, I looked it up. It was not that expensive to take their course. And the exam was included in the course. So I was like, okay, I'm going to just take it. It really was like a 50-question test. It was just an abbreviated version of the CPC exam. I nailed it, of course, right? Because it's really I had already been doing it so long. And then I decided to, to buy their uh, licensing um, materials so I could have the, the best, I, at the t- I felt was the best, for I feel it's the best um, curriculum out there because they're the ones that administer the exam. Why wouldn't we use their curriculum, right? That was what th- went through my head. So I, I did it. And I, I've been doing that since 2017. 
Uh, and so I love using the AAPC program. I sometimes will incorporate other items, other tools, and which is also benefit to the students. There are so many things out there that you can, you know, if you you can fish for the person, right? Or you can teach them how to fish. So that is what I did. I teach my students how to do their own research because I could tell you all day long what to do, but it's not going to benefit you. You need to know how to do it on your own. You need to know how to get that answer yourself. If your physician asks you, where did you get this information? You can't say Jennifer. <laughs> you have to say where you got it. CMS, AHA, CPC assistant. Where did you get the information, right? So you have to know how to find it. And that's what I teach my, my students and those that I mentor. And I will say there are so many rewards to this career. There's also some challenges. It's not easy. There are times where you may have a day where you just want to pull your hair out. You can't get this claim paid. You can't figure out how to code this. And you're just like at a loss. You can't get your physician to understand why they have to document this. And so you're going in circles. Take a breath. Take a breather. Go for a walk. Just get a cup of coffee. Do whatever you have to do to regroup and go back and tackle it again. It's one of those careers. It, it can try you, but also so rewarding and so fun. Oh my goodness. I love coding. I love it so much. So I hope that it's something that encourages you to stick with this career and to keep going. Um, and like I said, on this podcast, I wanted to offer suggestions and that's what I feel like I've done and giving you some suggestions on that. As far as job searching and kind of drawing that line and of the anatomy of your career, right? What is the, that path you're going to take? You're going to have to look at yourself. What do you enjoy doing? What about coding? And when you went into your course, were there any specialties or any body systems that you just specifically like loved, right? I will say, you know, for me now, after doing this so long, orthopedics will and always will be, or is and always will be my favorite because, and it, my baby, I call it. I've, I've done it for so long and I can't imagine doing anything else. But I also love neuro, neurology. I also love GI. I've done that a long time. Um, I also love ophthalmology, which I've done in the past. I'm also certified in. Um, I love plastics, which has been a recent, um, you know, section that I've done um, for a provider locally. And so I do love plastics now as well. So I, I, there was so many things that I've touched on that I love, right? I'm even looking into becoming more proficient OBGYN. I love learning about that. Um, especially since, you know, we're promoting our upcoming specialty conference in February. So if you are in the OBGYN field or you're interested in it, I highly recommend attending the OBGYN Summit at OBGYNsummit.com. You can purchase tickets now uh, for you and your staff. Um, if you purchase multiple tickets, of course, you get a discount. So please, please, please join us virtually for this amazing conference. We have some amazing speakers. And that's one of the things I, I thought in 2020... I had been teaching for several years, really enjoying that. And I thought, you know, like I'm now in a position I can start to maybe afford to go to conferences. And then COVID hit, right? The first year I thought I'm ready to go to a conference. And so I was like, great. So, but I reached out to a friend of mine. Maybe you remember Kimberly Jolivet Williams. She, um, huge shout out to Kim. She was on my show recently and a, um, a good friend of mine that we worked together frequently. So I reached out to her. I was like, hey, let's get some ladies together and let's do a virtual conference. Let's like get some topics together and pr promote it. And we can use this to offer CEUs because as instructors, we have a, a slew of, of CEUs we can offer. We just have to put it together. So I decided let's do that. Let's offer these CEUs that we have for people that aren't able to go to conferences. They, they may be displaced. They don't have jobs, but they need to keep their credential. 
So we offered this low-cost way for them to attend. And before too long, one person told one person, that told, person told another person. And before too long, I had the amazing Jordan Johnson on my side, and he was jumping in helping me. And we're still working together, which is awesome. And so, like, my whole career just turned upside down and just went, I mean, like, I don't even know how I got here. Um, being a podcaster, being um, a national speaker now, I mean, like, it just opened up in 2020. Uh, my career just skyrocketed. And now I'm not everyone's coming to me um, as their em- educator of choice. And I'm really grateful um, that I had this opportunity to meet so many people and to be a part of so many people's journey. So that's what happened. And so then people kept coming and asking me for more. Like, when's the next one? Can you do a specialty one? So then we started doing specialty ones. And and that's what we're doing going forward, guys. In 2022, that is what we're going to do. We are going to give you the ones you asked for. We're going to give you orthopedics. We're going to give you oncology, pediatrics, OBGYN, cardiovascular. Those are the things we're going to give you because you asked for them. So talk to your employers. I know a lot of you, you can't afford this on your own, maybe, but talk to your employers. We had several employers actually last this past year that paid for their coders to go to the orthopedic one and the general surgery one. So if you are working in those specialties and you are looking for more education, tell your employers these virtual conferences are the way to go because you're going to get that education. They don't have to pay for travel. Um, they can get you um, that education, your CEUs as well, because I know a lot of times some employers um, aren't able to offer to pay for CEUs, but they can pay for this conference because it's going to help their clinic. It's going to help you become a better at your job. You're just going to increase revenue. Um, it's going to show them how they can look at their data differently. We are going to have experts at these conferences talk about looking at the data. What is the data you have in your office? How can you look at the files, Medicare files? How can you look at software differently and learn how to use the technology that you have to improve and increase your revenue. Coders are a big part of that. So if your employer sends you to these conferences, you're going to learn more than just coding. You're going to learn billing, compliance. You're going to learn all the ins and outs of how to make your practice successful. And you're going to take that information back to your managers. We also recommend telling your managers to attend as well because they're the ones that make decisions and maybe have an end to show the physicians how they can improve things and improve the practice flow, improve all the things that make your prof- your uh, practice profitable. That's what we're here to help you do. And yes, we maybe we're not ready to go back in person yet, but we have these virtual options we're going to continue to offer. We are looking into this year offering um, some hybrid options, right? Um, and I will be, of course, at HealthCon in, in Washington, D.C., speaking myself in person, but they also have a hybrid option as well. The AAPC does. So many organizations out there are offering hybrid options for conferences. So take advantage of them and get take advantage of the education that's at your disposal. Education is valuable. Think how much money um, your parents may have spent to send you to college if you went to college. Thousands of dollars these universities make. Coders, for some reason, when you tell someone how much it costs to obtain a coding credential, it's almost like that thought disappears. Like, oh, it's so expensive. Would you rather spend $20,000 or would you rather spend $1,500 to start your career now? Like, what is the disconnect? I don't understand. Um, And then when people ask about CEUs, and so I'm going to cover this. I've talked about it on message boards and LinkedIn, but I'm going to reiterate it here on this podcast. I want to make sure I'm loud and clear. Everybody understands what I'm talking about here. So what I'm talking about is the fact that CEUs cost money. 
So you pay what $100 for your student membership for AAPC or 180 as it is right now for your um, membership every year afterwards. And you know, you're going to get the magazine, right? And it's going to have those CEUs in there. And you might think, oh, I get 12 free CEUs a year. They're not free people. They cost you $180 a year. <laughs> That's how much it costs. And so when you see our membership on our website that tells us we offer CEU memberships and they're pretty much the same price, you balk at it and be like, oh, that's too expensive. You're paying the exact same amount to be a member of AAPC or other organization, AHIMA, AHIMA. You're paying a membership there to get access to things. And then you go and you see how much AAPC or an, another organization um, is, you know, asking for CEUs and you balk at it. It's what it costs. Think about those of those organizations that spent their time that's their job. That's their livelihood, spending time creating content for you. And then they decide, of course, yeah, they're going to charge for it. They have to charge for the time that their employees spent doing that and the, the cost of that. So that goes into it. When you think about what something costs, do we think about the, the uh, staffing that's involved in making that happen, the time, all of that? It's valuable. So when we come out there as consultants and we tell you this is how much we charge, it's because it's how much it costs us to prepare it, to put it out there. The cost to provide those CEUs to you is, is, is a really large amount. So we're, we're doing our best to provide this content for you. Education is essential. If you cannot see the value in education, then I'm going to say, I'm going to be totally blunt, you might be in the wrong profession. Because if you don't know this by now, uh, education is a big part of being a coder because you have to know and be updated every year. Codes change every year. The insurance companies change their policies every year. So if you don't keep up to date on that, you're not going to know what to do. You're going to get your claims denied and your practice is going to ask you what happened and you're going to say, I didn't know. But that isn't always the answer they want to hear, right? They want to know you're educating yourself or hopefully they're providing education for you to keep you up to date on these things. So you can, you can keep going in that career. It's a constant flow. It's a fluid industry, right? There's constant flow of data and information coming and going. So we have to be at the cusp. We have to be right there understanding that. How many of you as coders, when you go out there, you understand the final rule? Do you understand the physician fee schedule? Do you understand those indicators when you get a denial and you look at the fee schedule and you're like, okay, this is payable, this is not. Do you understand what those things mean? Um, are you just in this to be a coder? You're not going to go very far if you're just in it to be a coder. You need to understand the full revenue cycle if possible. Um, so you can, of course, be that person that they come to for answers. And that is going to be what's going to launch your career and make you more marketable and valuable. There are some out there that are just fine being just coding all day. Um, but remember... When you're coding, you also have to know modifiers. You have to know how those modifiers are applicable to certain insurance payers. So even though you're a coder, you also need to know some reimbursement methodologies in order to code appropriately. So they go together. They You can't really separate them. But I know there are some um, industries and I've worked, or some um, hospitals and, and companies, I've worked for them, where you have coders in one queue and you have billers in another and they don't talk to each other necessarily. But one person does the coding and then the other person takes that coding and, and, and bills it. So there are times where that has to happen. But try to do your best to understand that full revenue cycle so you can be um, at an advantage. And there are other things that are happening in the industry, guys. Technology is huge. There are companies out there that are building these softwares to help with prior authorizations, code capture, 
And just because they're doing this does not mean that your job as a coder is in danger. We're always going to need coders behind the scenes, these subject matter experts to come in and say, yes, this is what will make that work. Or no, you need to do this in order for the coding knowledge to make sense. Um, they're going to need coders in certain specialties that have experience. SMEs, we call them, right? Subject matter experts in orthopedics, in general surgery, in cardiovascular. And come in and tell these software companies, yes, um, you can do this, but you also need to put some code in there um, to account for the situation or this situation. And it can, it can work, but they need those experts like you and I that can come in and tell them that. So think outside the box a little bit, guys. Think about what you can do in your career um, that can make you more marketable. And you can, of course, be successful in whatever you decide to do. Technology is something that is always going to be there. And going forward, it's only going to make our jobs better and, and more efficient. So don't be afraid of technology. Use it and learn from it. Decide where you want to go with your career. I decided, you know, I wanted to get as many credentials as possible to make me as marketable as possible. I decided after I got my CPC, I wanted to go for my CCS credential, that one I told you about in the beginning, right? The inpatient one. And now I am completely obsessed with inpatient procedure coding. I thought it was so difficult to look at at first, and now I'm teaching it and I love it. I love PCS coding. Secret, I actually feel like I want PCS coding to be all that we do. I love it that much. I still feel that PCS coding is so valuable, and I feel like in some way, all areas of the industry should learn how to use it, and it should be incorporated. I feel like they should find some way not to get rid of CPT, but to have them work together and to have them also be used by providers. I don't know. I'm thinking outside the box. Like I'm like thinking, how is this possible? It's not that we do things. But I so want it to be because I love PCS that much. I'm a nerd. I'm telling you. But I love the fact that it's a buildable code and that every single digit has a meaning. I love that there's no option for unlisted codes. Uh, these are some of the basic things I love about it. So if you have questions about ICD-10 PCS, stay tuned for 2022. We will be bringing some training in that aspect to make sure we, uh, we educate those that are interested in learning more about that. So I hope that today you learned a little bit about the anatomy of the medical coding career. You learned a little bit about my path, what drives me, and why I love this career. And hopefully some of you out there can uh, get to that point as well. And you can get to that level of career where you feel like you have, you know, accomplished what you set out to accomplish. I know you can do it. And I'm here to help you in any way that I can. So I want to thank you, of course, for joining us for this podcast episode. We do have, of course, thank you. Our goal is to inspire and educate. And I always say knowledge is power. Never give up on coding. Keep learning and keep growing. This has been Jennifer McNamara with Life as a Coder. Thank you to our sponsors, Ozark Coding Alliance, and our amazing podcast producer, Gabriel Fast with Highland Productions. Until next time. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Life as a Coder podcast series, brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort. It helps us share the show with other coders, students, and professionals just like you. Come back every Wednesday for a new episode. We'll catch you then.